Welcome to Annersbrook Church. We hope this message from our lead pastor, Graham Hislop, empowers and encourages you. To hear more from our church, make sure you subscribe or visit our website at annersbrook.co.nz for a service near you. Hey everybody, huge welcome. Uh, welcome to church. If we've never met before, my name is Graham. Uh, my wife, Rebecca, and I are the lead pastors here at Annersbrook. Just such an honor and privilege to be with you today. Uh, our daughter's here. I don't think any of my other children are here other than Ruby. Ruby, do you want to stand up and give everyone a wave? Just give everyone a, everyone a friendly hi. Um, well, that wasn't very friendly. But yeah, I mean, you were smiling. That was good. And Ruby's doing uh, ALC this year. So our leadership college. Hey, Phil, would you be able to move this? I'm just worried about like doing a Achilles or something. I, do, I might actually step on like a, like a delay pedal and then this message go on for half an hour longer than it should. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Uh, welcome, welcome. Hey, just before we get into the uh, message today, I thought it would be really good just to take a moment as a church just to pray for uh, what's going on with this coronavirus around the world. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you why I think it would be good to pray. Like, obviously, number one, with the, the, the virus itself, obviously, and those who are suffering it from it. But there's something else with it that I think would be good to be praying into, and that's around the hysteria of it. And, you know, with these things, um, it, it's not as though any one person who gets sick, it doesn't matter to God. It does matter to God. And, it, and, it, and you know, the Bible even talks about those who die, how God weeps and grieves over those who die. There are those who die that, that grieves his heart. But there is um, the nature of our world now, I guess fear can sneak in, the fear of the unknown, the fear of all sorts of things. So I'm not downplaying it at all, but I do think it would be good to pray for it uh, because the world we live in now, you can, can have quite significant effects on things like the markets and things like business and confidence, and we've just got to be ever so careful with it. So, uh, you know, you wonder sometimes, what can I do? What, what can I do about something like that? And obviously there's the basics, eh? washing your hands and not sneezing on people, stuff like that. But I think I actually think there's more we can do, and that's we should, we should pray. So would that be a good idea right now? Should we, should we pray together? Okay, Heavenly Father, we just thank you right now for um, your incredible power. And uh, Lord, we just lift up to you the things that we can't understand, the things that we can't manage and carry on our own. And that right now is certainly... Uh, what's happening in this space of coronavirus. We lift it up to you. We pray for this virus that it would actually uh, begin to be curtailed, Lord God, in different nations, different uh, nations that struggle with this or struggle to manage. Give them wisdom. Give them insight. Give them abilities, Lord God. I just pray for like doctors and those who, with, with actually the skills to uh, do what needs to be done, that, Father, you'd supernaturally move. Pray for fear. We just break fear over different nations of the world, break fear over our nation. We just pray, Lord God, there would actually be wisdom and revelation. In fact, it would be an opportunity for people to think beyond their own lives and to think beyond their own power, think beyond their own strengths and abilities, and that they would find you. So we just pray for supernatural answers to this. And we just pray for every sick person right now that, Lord God, there would be healing. And then we just release healing into people, into their lives, into the most dire situations. We just pray for a supernatural turnaround in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, good thing to do. Good thing to do. Well, this is part two of 10 Things Christianity Isn't. Why, why would a church do a series on what isn't? Why don't you just talk about what is? And that's actually because part of our world now, we've learned to define things not by what they actually are, but by images of what we think they are. 
and, and what that is is what it isn't. And, and I, was, I was talking about this last week where we've got 10 things. I'm going to list them in a minute. But there's actually 10 kind of, kind of I think there'd be more than 10. But there's certainly, if you think about Shannon's career driver, I'm not sure if he attends here or if he goes to a different church or if he goes to church at all. But this series, the reason why we wanted to do it was because I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about Christianity. Back in Acts chapter 11, it's the first time the word Christian was ever used. Acts chapter 11 and verse 26 says says that. Literally, Paul and Barnabas Barnabas found themselves in Antioch. And I think we've got the scripture there. um, And and it just says simply, for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. Lots of people were coming to this thing called faith. And it says the disciples, which is what they were known as, up until this point, it's the only identifying factor and label anyone had put on them. These Jesus followers was disciples. But for the first time ever, they were called Christians. And it's probably interesting to note that it wasn't the Christians who used that first word Christians. It wasn't the disciples. The first people that ever used the word Christian were those in Antioch who weren't Christians. And what they, if you look it up in the Greek, what they actually meant is very clear. What they meant was uh, two meanings, two inherent meanings to the word Christian that these outsiders used to describe these insiders. And that is, first of all, that they're followers of Jesus. Very simple. They, in their own lifetime, would have been aware of who Jesus was and what Jesus did. They were aware of uh, what it meant for Jesus to do miracles and the message of the gospel. Whether or not they opted into that or not was irrelevant. Obviously, some did and some didn't. But they just said, a Christian is someone who follows Jesus. But the second meaning is quite powerful, and that means little Christ. So they actually said the way we define these people is they follow Jesus with their whole life, and that meant they threw everything in. Every, they went all in, their lives and everything. And to us, they look like little Christs, which meant they were probably forgiving. They were probably quite gracious. They are probably quite loving. And man, we have come a long way from Antioch, haven't we? That if you say to someone down the street, what's a Christian? They might say these things, and these are the 10 things that we're gonna try and like talk about. First of all, they might say, it's just behaviorism. You know that your behavior is what means you're in or out accepted or not accepted. And if you uh, want to hear that message, I spoke it last week in Sexton. It's on our podcast. You can listen to that uh, versus what the gospel really is. Two, um, it's not permission to judge. People see Christians as quite judgy. And actually, Jesus, they never said he was judgy. In fact, he was quite the opposite. His, his reach and his breadth were very wide in terms of humanity. Thirdly, uh, people go, Christianity is just made up. And that's really weird because the 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 record of Jesus actually living isn't just in the Bible, but it's in other trustworthy documents. There's no question over whether Jesus existed, none at all. The only question is whether he rose again from the dead and 500 witnesses swear that it happened. So this is not, when people, someone goes, Christianity is just made up, they are actually talking a whole heap of hot air. Like just straight up. It's not even historic. It's like saying the moon doesn't exist or saying the earth is flat. Oh, okay, right. Uh, five, uh, four, I think, boring. People just say it's boring. And I've got some stories to share how unboring and actually how on the edge sometimes you feel in the Christian life. One time I felt the Holy Spirit prompt me gently on a plane and what he asked me to do was not boring. It was quite freaky. And the Christian life should be an adventure and it should be exciting and it should be riveting and you should need his power for the sort of things he encourages you to do. Like forgiving someone. You know, man, I need power to do that because actually I want to get even, not forgive. 
I want to give them a Christian hug. You know, no one is good punch to the face. Anyway, um, some people say it's just a set of external rules. You know, it's just, it's just because no one can come up with any other better moral code. Some people say it's hypocritical. Some people say it's weird. And that is true. There are, some, there are actually some Christians that are weird. And I apologize on behalf of them and myself, because <laughs> it can be me. Um, some people say Christianity is irrelevant. Some people say it's powerless. And the one we're going to do today is a real top 10. That is Christianity is just a crutch. And I want to talk about that. I want to talk about Christianity is just a crutch. I, I, I don't know if you know this. Well, actually, it's a weird way to start that story because you probably don't. But I've never broken a bone in my entire life. In fact, I think I got close. I hurt my toe once. But, um, you know, I've never actually officially broken a bone. Mum, either mum gave us a lot of calcium or we just lived a very risk-averse life. I'm not sure, you know, it's either one of those two. Um, so when we had children, we've got five children, we've got three daughters, two sons, and when the first broken bone that happened in our family was with my daughter Saskia, who was three, and it just totally blew my mind because I'd never, my brothers hadn't broken bones either. We had four boys, and I dropped a hammer on Phil's head from a tree heart, but he didn't break his skull, you know, and um, obviously not heavy enough. And so, you know, for Sask, She's three, and we had, you guys know those trampolines now with the nets, and they're meant to keep you safe? The only issue with those nets is that it perpetuates this, this falsehood that you're going to be totally safe. And also, you know as well, the, the, the sun's powerful and the nets perish. So our nets started to um, perish, and there was one hole quite high up on the nets, and someone double-bounced her, the three-year-old, and um, she double-bounced up and straight through the hole. She went flying. Were you there, Ruby, or did you cause it? Okay, anyway, and she, she landed on the ground, and guess what she landed on? Her hand. And so at three, when you land hand first, um, other bones decide to complain about it. And they certainly did, and I went out and I saw her eyes roll back in her head a little bit, and this, this bone sticking out of her wrist. And you, when you see it as well, you think, that's unusual. <laughs> hey, you're just like, that's not right. <laughs> and that's the first broken bone I'd actually seen. Um, and so we went to the hospital, and we waited at the hospital, and then we got seen at the hospital. And then we waited at the hospital. And then they said we need to do an x-ray. And so we, then we waited at the hospital. And then we followed the green line back to the thing and we waited again. And then they got the results. And if you work at the hospital, this is not shame on you. I'm just talking about the experience. And then they brought us back to tell us the results. And so we waited for that. And then they said, hey, Saskia, sweetheart, we're going to need to put your arm in a cast. That was after like totally like... You know, it was te the terror of bone replacements, just horrendous to watch. I said, I've got to leave the room. You just go for it. You know, that's just horrible to watch. So they get the cast and they put the cast on. And let me tell you what I didn't do and I would never do. You ready? This is what I didn't do and I would never do. Doctor, um, just before you put that cast on, I want to tell you something. I've been noticing some things in Saskia's behavior lately. And some things that I'm not happy about. At three, she should definitely be progressing better than that. And I want to just let you know something. We hislops don't do casts. She needs to toughen the heck up a bit. So no cast, and she will get better. I didn't do it. I'd never do it. If my son Izzy, who's a little bit older, and he broke a bone as well, obviously not enough milk in the family, but, but he, if he broke a bone, and he did break a bone, and went to the hospital, and he didn't break his leg, but if he did break his leg, and the doctor said, listen, Izzy, we're going to put in a cast, and you're going to need some crutches. Oh, no, excuse me, doctor. No, no, no. We don't do crutches. What we do is a little bit of harden up pill. 
You need to have some concrete. And you, my son, seven or eight, I don't care. You need to grin and bear it. You need to grow through this. You need to mature. He doesn't need a crutch. And on one level, you kind of understand what I'm saying. But on another, we seem to do this with God's kids all the time. And I'm not just talking about other people. I'm talking about yourself. We do this. We kind of like, like we have these high expectations when our lives, get this for a minute, our lives actually break. That was a very quiet affirmation. That wasn't like, yeah, amen. That was like, <clears throat> and I'll tell you why that is because like Shannon mentioned before, when we read the scriptures, it kind of feels like we're reading everybody's victory story. We're reading the highlight reels and that's good. We need it because God is a God of victory and God does put us on a new place through the cross. But what we don't realize is that many of the victory stories got there through incredible brokenness. It got there through incredible um, trials, through real hardships. That's the bit we don't talk about. So today, rather than talking about all the victories, I'm gonna talk about some hardships. Yeah, it's gonna be real fun. This is just the service to come to. Well, I was thinking about a couple, and there's a couple of people who really actually did have some stuff going on in their lives, some brokenness, and we need to talk about it. The first I wanna talk about is Elijah. Elijah is a very powerful and significant person. If you haven't heard of him, he's an Old Testament prophet, a major prophet. There's major and minor, and there's augmented prophets as well. It's a joke for the musicians. And so he's a major prophet, and, and he is pretty powerful too. Single-handedly, he began to defend as a prophet the nation of Israel against Ahab, against Jezebel, against um, what had become in culture very destructive. They were... They were basically living without an image, a true image or relationship with God. And now they're worshiping idols and they're, and they're into Baal worship. That was what it was called. So anyway, Elijah, because he is who he is, because like he can do it, he can get it done. God speaks to him. And if you can read it in 1 Kings 17, 18, 19, but what happens is it all happens to be a big showdown on Mount Carmel. And... Um, where, where these prophets of Baal, not prophets of the one true God, but prophets of Baal, start to say, he says to them, listen, if your God is God, then you call down fire. And if my God is God, I'll call down fire. So this is apparently has happened, this whole thing. And he does it. And sure enough, they don't get any fire because their God is not the one true God. And Elijah gets fire and it burns up not only all of, all of the altar as this great sign that God truly was the God of Israel and the world, but it actually burnt up the prophets as well. And so, so many of them. And so it is crazy. It is like, you know, you read that stuff in the Bible and, you, and you're just trying to work out which way is up. You're just trying to, well, this is out there. So anyway, that's all victory and wonderful. That afternoon, after this Mount Carmel incident, a, a person arrives on the back of a horse or an Uber. We're not sure. Apparently, we do have an Uber in Nelson. Did you know that? Just one. And, um, and a friend of mine came and found, he opened his app, hoping this Uber driver would be around, and it said, currently offline. <laughs> so it's like, we've got no one. You know, we've got nothing. And this Uber arrives to Elijah after this big firestorm, after this show of power, and says this, Jezebel wants you dead. And it wasn't as though he didn't know that. He knew that. But for some reason now, it has such an effect on his life that he begins to run at lightning speed, back to home base to try to work out a plan. And on the way home in this run, he finds himself so depleted 
I think body, soul, and spirit, probably if you read it, probably he was just like just totally drained. And he reaches this point, and I'm going to read you now verbatim what this big hero said. He rocked up to God and he said, I've just defeated all of these prophets. Now I've got Jezebel wanting to kill me. And this is what he quotes. I've had enough. Have you ever had enough? Do you ever say to God, I've had enough? If you don't say to God, you've had enough, then you actually are only praying half of the prayers you ought to pray. He said, I've had enough. He said, let me die. That's pretty full on. Let, I don't wanna live. He's, he might be suicidal. We don't really know what's going, going on. And then so he lay down under the tree and he slept. And then God turned up as, with an angel and an angel came and he said, hey, I wonder, I wonder if I can help you. He said, I've got two pieces of advice. And this is what God says, are you ready? I want you to sleep, Elijah, and I want you to eat. And then once you've woken up, I'm gonna bring some food by ravens. I want you, once you've eaten, to go back to sleep again. And then you wanna wake up, and I'm gonna have some more food, and then you're gonna eat, and then you need to go back to sleep again. And God said that if you do this, it's gonna be okay. In other words, you don't need to die. You just need to be refreshed. In other words, Elijah, you're just a bit broken today. God uses broken people to bring fire down on Carmel. Think about that. A guy who can't even at the end of that day keep his emotions intact. Some of you in this room go, oh, God can never use me. My, my, my household's a bit of a shambles. My, my thinking's a bit of a shambles. I don't even know what to do. And there's other people in the room who go, yeah, I'm, I actually got it together. I'm well-trained, I'm well-schooled. My emotional life's good as well. But even for you, there's brokenness in each one of us. And he comes and God says, just sleep and just eat. And I love that in 2 Corinthians 1, it says, why, why did God do this? Because that scripture, 2 Corinthians 1, says that God is the father of all compassion and of all comfort. People get broken. People get tired. People get burnt out. We can, we can do messages on how to avoid burnout. We can. But we need messages to talk about what to do when you're burnt out. Because, you, because it's going to happen. There's going to be moments in your life. But we don't let Elijah sleep. We go into that cave and wake him up and we say, you better pray harder. You better read the Bible more. You better do some stuff that's going to get you out of this funk. We don't let him eat and we don't let him sleep. We don't let him rest. We don't let him recoup. We don't let him recover. Because there's something in us that actually feels a little bit like we can't do it ourselves. But God is not that God. God is the God of both our successes and our failures, our strength and our weakness, of our abundance and our lack. He may not be a God of lack, but in our lack, He can bring abundance in. And so this is where He's at. This, that's where Elijah's at. What about Peter? Peter is a New Testament um, Elijah, really. He didn't call down fire, but he's a strong guy. But Elijah, what he did was a little bit different. Uh, uh, Peter, excuse me, Peter's, um, Peter's broken leg is his own fault for being an idiot. It wasn't because he was like on, on the Mount Carmel and did a, did a great thing for God. Peter had this moment of huge character weakness right when it mattered. Jesus was being arrested. He was gonna be crucified. And right at this moment as Jesus has been dragged into, you can read the story in the Gospels. The Gospels, by the way, are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they rhyme with, hold your horse while I get on. And so he's there, and as he's going in, I'll just tell you what it rhymes with. It was part of my duty. And as he goes in, there's some people, as he's arrested, say to Peter, because Peter's on the outside of the courts, do you know this guy? 
And Peter had only earlier said, Jesus, I want you to know, I'm never going to leave you. I will die for you. And that was only like five minutes earlier. He gets to the moment out of this great conviction, and what's he got? Anti-conviction. So there he is, and he begins to say, they're saying, don't you know him? I've seen you around with him. And there's a rooster, if you read the story, that crows three times, and it crows three times after Peter says, I don't know him, I've never known him, I have nothing to do with him. What is that about? What was it about Peter that in a moment of Jesus needing him the most, that he failed? What sort of brokenness is in Peter that, that, that he professed to wanting to die for Jesus if need be? And then when it really came to it. So what happens? Jesus dies in the ground for three days. And then we read that he's resurrected. So what does Jesus do first when he's resurrected? It's quite interesting. He appears to two women at the, at the tomb. Uh, and, and they're the first ones to see. And then the second thing he wants to do is very interesting. He wants to meet with Peter. The first thing he wants to do, the first person he wants to meet with. So what's he gonna do? What's the meeting gonna be about? What's the conversation gonna sound like for this guy who's just let Jesus down? He's let everything down. He's let everyone down. There's deep brokenness in his life. What are you gonna say? Jesus, when he arrives at the shore because someone said Peter's out fishing, because by the way, when areas of our brokenness come into play, when our brokenness is overtaking our wholeness, we generally regress in life. We regress. We regress in things like our thinking, our attitudes, our behavior, and our habits. So here he is back fishing, and Jesus goes to the shore, and he goes, Peter, come in! And he yells out, and that voice pierced the atmosphere, and Peter recognizes it, and he strips off his top, he takes off his what was he wearing? Wetsuit? And, and there he is. He's just got his swimming trunks on. Probably not, but anyway. And he begins to swim in rapidly, leaving the boat and the nets and the fish and everything. And what does Jesus do? Does Jesus do a speech? Does he make some speech about him being weak and useless and horrible? Does he, what does he do? What Jesus does is makes him breakfast. He makes him barbecue fish. He's got a breakfast waiting. It's a true story. And Peter arrives at the shore having let this saviour and this master down to barbecued fish. Peter, take a seat. So is this the moment? Is this the moment that the world defines as Christianity? Is he about to get a scolding? Is he about to get absolutely like just torn to shreds? This is the speech. Are you ready? Peter, do you love me? Just picking bits of fish. and he, Oh, you know I love you, Lord. He asked the second time, Peter, do you love me? Do you really love me? You know that I loved you. You just imagine his skin crawling and, and his soul just like totally not knowing what to do because he knows what he's just done. Even Jesus knows it. Asks him a third time. And after the third time, Jesus reinstates Peter to be part of the fundamental foundation of what the church would be. Reinstalling him back into ministry. Reinstalling him into significance giving him a path. Where did it come from? His brokenness. His brokenness. So I want to tell you a little bit about the third person, myself, and a little bit of my brokenness. I've had moments in my life that I've actually needed God. Because this argument of Christianity is just a crutch. If people are saying that, that is a really, really harsh person. 
who's saying that kind of stuff. A person who doesn't understand humanity that well. In 2012, my wife, Rebecca, got diagnosed with thyroid cancer. Happened out of the blue, just happened randomly that we found out about it. But we actually discovered as she was scanned and um, that it was quite serious. She went down to surgery to the best thyroid surgeon in New Zealand, down in Christchurch. And as they opened her, um, her up and she, they began to take out the thyroid, they actually discovered what was meant to be a three-hour surgery turned into nine hours because she was actually stage four cancer right through everywhere. And uh, very, very serious. One side of the nerve and that controls the larynx was totally severed by a tumour. The other side only just surviving. If you don't have them to control, you can't swallow food. You can't breathe, regulate your breath because your larynx helps control that. You can't speak. So they put a tracheostomy in. And Rebecca, they said to me after the surgery, we're not sure whether she'll ever be able to speak again. And so um, I'm, we're in this moment, just out of nowhere. Just like, bang, just happened. You know, we knew it was kind of like bad, but we didn't know it was that. So I, I, I had this moment. Shinny, oh, Dave, can you just help me grab? Yeah. And I said to the Lord, because I wasn't expecting. It's just his weakness, guys. And I said to the Lord, I said, seriously, God, what's up with the surgery? So this is like a month into this. You hear the cancer word, you're not expecting it. And, and, and that happens. And so I went to the Lord and I said, Jesus, I need a crutch. And I did. Because I had a lot of fear about, will this woman ever speak again? It was a very, very, very tough time. And as, as I found out, I asked him, I need a crutch. Like, like Shannon was saying this morning, when we hear the whispers of the Lord, we've got to remember he wants to hear your whisper as well. And the Lord gave me a crutch. I could put my weight on it. Because I still had these five kids and still had to be a pastor. Still had to do what I was meant to do. I was meant to get up here and encourage people in God, in faith, in the unknown. And so for, a, for about a month, I reckon, I just walked around with a crutch. Not many people knew. But I just reduced the margins of my life. I reduced some of the things that I used to be able to do, I couldn't do. No one really knew. You, you don't want to be the kind of person that advertises a crutch, and I'll tell you why. Because it proves you don't need it. <laughs> I just put my weight on it. I just, I just rested in him. I just let him, I didn't worry about my prayer life too much. I just let him do what he needed to do in the situation. But a month into it, we found out that she'd need radiation. And that actually the story of this thing wasn't over. And so I said to the Lord, Trinity, Lord, I need a walker. Because as this went on, I started to find myself getting a little bit more tired. And I just needed to put a little bit more weight on it. I remember having these dreams, terrible dreams, and it was just my imagination, or the devil, I'm not sure. They're often quite closely linked. And I'd have pictures in my dreams of her in a casket and her funeral. And I'd get up in the middle of the night at 2 a.m. and I'd say, Lord, I need this walker. I need to lean on you. I need to lean, I need to lean more on you, Lord. I don't know what I'm gonna do. I, so she had radiation, and after the radiation, we got a report back after another scan. And this time, the scan said that there were now cancer cells in her chest cavity. This is about eight months into it, Trinity. So I said to the Lord, Lord, I need a wheelchair. And the Lord was so gracious because there were people around our lives and there were people in our church who were praying with us and who were laboring with us and who were talking and, and carrying us. There were people who were literally doing things and I'm telling you right now, when I said to the Lord, I need a wheelchair, he gave it to me. 
I still had moments where I got up, on, had to get up on stage, but I couldn't carry the weight. This journey went on for two years to the point where literally I said, Lord, I actually need to lie down, Trinity. By the way, Trinity wasn't mentioned in my prayers back then, but she may as well be. And God was so gracious to me. Not many people knew, but these internal struggles. By the way, I just want to talk about the kingdom of God as a little bit more excellent than this. I just want to say that, that if God's going to, I'll help you. And I said to the Lord, Lord, two years now, two years of trying to, without the uncertainty, they said, we're not sure which way this is going to go. We're not sure if it's going to end well. We don't know if it won't. And I said to the Lord, Lord, I need to lie down. And I remember, like, it was kind of like I couldn't do anything other than just simple stuff, simple family stuff. We canceled our Kaiteri holiday that we do every year. The thought of packing and going was just too much. See, for all of the strengths God's given me, seems like there's some attributing weaknesses that come with it. For all of my victories, I find brokenness. But while I was here, God did a work in me. It worked so deep that I could now relate to anyone who had ever encountered the C word. I could relate to people who through health journeys that weren't going to go away in two weeks could understand, could be easier on them. The Bible says in Isaiah that if you wait upon the Lord, that he will renew your strength. You'll rise up on wings of eagles. You'll walk and not grow weary, run and not grow faint. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9, it says, Paul said to the Lord, these thorns in my flesh are so horrible. They're so ghastly. And three times Paul said, I pleaded with the Lord, take them away. Take away the brokenness. Take away the pain. Take away the lack of energy. Take away these temptations. Take away when I lose my temper. Take away when I seem to fail people. Take it away. But the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Not in your brilliance, but in your weakness. And the problem with most Christians today is they never actually lie down in their weakness. They never actually admit it. I'm not talking about on Facebook. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I thought that was quite funny. <laughs> they never admit it to themselves or anyone else. I'm not doing that good. So I've come with one simple message. Are you ready? Christianity is not just a crutch. It's the whole flipping hospital. It's everything you need him to be in any moment. If you've failed, he'll pick you back up. He may not give you success that afternoon, but he will do with you what you need to be done because Jesus is not just a crutch. How rude, how offensive. I've got a little side note for those who say, oh, Christianity's a crutch. I, I actually think they had a sibling or a brother or a sister who they used this stuff as an excuse. You know what I mean? I said, oh, it's okay. They've made excuses. This is not the same as excuses. Do you know what it is? Everybody is broken. I'm broken. I have brokenness. You have brokenness. And we must start to learn how to prop ourselves up on Jesus. And then he will do his work in us. 
and he'll set us back on our feet. We're not here forever. We're not meant to be here forever. I didn't stay here forever. There came a point, maybe an opposite regression, where I began to find strength flow back into my veins. But anyone who says to you, it's a crutch for those who are weak-minded, they're horrible people. They're horrible humans. They'll have terrible marriages. They will. Just plastic and yuck. You don't want to be married to a person who says something like that. They'll be really bad parents. They'll expect you to be perfect every time. And let me just say this, God is not that parent to you. He is not that father. If you need to lie down, lie the flip down. You know we're getting good when I use the word flip, eh? I just add a flip into it. Can the musos come up here real quick? Let's go. Let's wrap this puppy up. So I say to you right now, I'm gonna add a second one real quick. Christianity is not hypocrisy. Hypocrisy, being a hypocrite. Do you know what that is? Do you know what the basis of hypocrisy is? Is you're just pretending to the rest of your world that this doesn't go on while actually you are having moments. Hypocrisy is just not being honest with yourself or anyone else. No one disrespects a person who is honest about where they're really at with a plan to move forward. No one disrespects that person. Where disrespect is lost is when I pretend to the world that I'm perfect, I've got it all together, and I never need to lie down. That's hypocrisy. Because then I measure them against my own weakness. I say, you can't lie down, and meanwhile, I'm lying down. You can't lean up on Jesus, meanwhile, I'm leaning up on Jesus. You've got to be perfect, and meanwhile, I'm not perfect. If the Christian church could remove hypocrisy, it's not being perfect, it's just being honest. Perfect timing. I'm going to read you this lyric. Where's Trinity? Trinity and Co. This place is littered with illustrations. At least with Shannon's, it's all over, eh? At least when he brings the hose out, it's all good. I did, thank you, girls. Can we put our hands together for this amazing team? Oh, bro, that. Okay. How to finish. We're going to finish this moment how we actually started worship. And you know that song, um, this worship song, you know the one? So I wrote down the lyrics as we were singing it and I just wondered if you knew what you were singing this morning. It says this, let the King of my heart, Jesus Christ, this Father Father of compassion, this one that I can lean on and put all my weight and weakness on, let the King of my heart be the mountain where I run, the fountain I drink from, oh, He is my song. I reckon Elijah actually, he knew that, real heart cry behind that. This is gonna be a message that either applies right now or it's gonna be one that you need to bank. Like really, the next time you have an oopsie, the next time something happens that you wish didn't, the next time something takes place, you're gonna need it. But the song goes on, let the king of my heart be the shadow where I hide. Too many Christians don't wanna hide. They wanna be out there for everyone to see. And it's like your only shine as bright as the thing that you reflect. So if you won't hide and let His love shine on you, you have no love to shine out. We, we kind of want to be powerful and be ministry, and so we should. But we only can give what we've received. So He says, let the King of my heart be the shadow where I hide. The ransom for my life. Oh, He is my song. And this is why. He says, because God, despite my brokenness and despite my mistakes and despite my failures and despite the journeys of health. And by the way, Rebecca's story, just in case you didn't know, a beautiful, beautiful two-year journey where she totally recovered. No cancer left in her body. She's had a clean bill of health since then. But we had a journey to do. We had a journey. 
many days, many nights, leaning on the Lord. 2 a.m., leaning on the Lord. I'd go out in the lounge and lean on the Lord. And sometimes I didn't even know what to pray. I just went, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Why? Because you are good. You are good. Oh, oh. <laughs> you are good. <laughs> Phil, that's good, eh? <laughs> you are good, Lord. Oh, oh. I don't know if John Wesley ever wrote lyrics. Who was his buddy, his brother? The, yeah, the, Mr. Wesley. I don't think they ever saw a day coming where they had to write a lyric called ooh or oh or ooh la la. Hey, you are good. You're good. And let the king of my heart be the wind inside my sails. The anchor in the waves. You're in a storm? Drop your anchor. Ooh, ooh. It's true too, you can have a storm on one front and actually be all clear on the others. You'd be at work a bit of a storm and all good at home. You could be all good at home and uh, all good at work and have a storm at, at home. This is what it's like to be human. But you are good. You are good. And here's the thought. Ready to finish? Because I'm going to pray. You'll only bear weight on Him if you truly believe He's good. If you believe there's any harm, if you believe there's any judgment coming your way, if you believe there's any light He's going to just rain down on you, bad, bad stuff, you'll never go near it. So I say to you and declare prophetically today, He is better than you think He is. He's more compassionate than you'll ever know. He's more patient. He's more kind. He's more loving. He's more steadfast. He's just waiting for you to come and place some weight on Him. In Jesus' name. Let's stand to our feet. And we're going to sing this chorus. And then I'm going to pray for you. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you're wondering what the next step in your faith journey looks like, please get in touch with us. Email us at info at or visit our website, 